Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter, ideas shape markets, and sometimes they change the world. We're going to be talking to a member of the risk, resilience, and security community today, and uh, we're going to be able to see or hear this uh, broadcast on sageconversations.com along with other germane issues of the day. Uh, I'd like to welcome Andrew Lanning, the co-founder of Integrated Security Technology, a security systems integrator, solution provider in uh, the grand state of Hawaii and elsewhere around the world. Andrew, great having you. Ron, thanks for letting me get out here today and uh, spout a little bit of uh, Hawaii love. Share some aloha with everybody. I've got to tell you, that aloha, that, that can change the world just that. If we just talked aloha for 20 minutes, we, we change the world. I, um, that's why I'm here today, brother. We started, uh, we started sharing this information uh, quite a while back, and um, I think it's important, so thanks for giving me a voice today. Well, no, no, you are one of the voices. You're the, one of the key voices. Just so our listeners know, if you don't know Andrew, you can see his bio on our website. If you don't know Andrew, he, yes, he's co-founder of a security system integration firm, but he has a love for this industry, he has a passion for uh, the mission and purpose of this industry, and he gives himself to others in the industry, whether it's SIA, PSA, or in this case, we're going to be talking about a very important very important concept, and I'm going to call it a concept until we bring it home, because people may not be familiar with it, uh, the concept of InfraGuard. And, and what I'd like to do is focus on that right now, Andrew. Tell us what InfraGuard is, and tell me what its purpose is. So InfraGuard is a public-private outreach partnership with the Office of the Private Sector of the FBI. Um, they the mission is to really protect the United States critical infrastructure and to protect the American people, you know, by cultivating the communications, collaboration, engagement between the public and private sectors. Um, that's an alliance that sort of unites the knowledge base, the work, the resources of all the stakeholders in the country to mitigate threats to national security, uh, thereby, you know, improving the resilience of our nation and to strengthen, you know, the way of American life. The vision statement, I'll give you that real quick, is exemplifying leadership, patriotism, and purpose. Uh, InfraGuard provides meaningful contributions towards preserving human life and making our nation a safer, more resilient place for all. And that's something I can get behind in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. The, you know, it's interesting. Uh, we brought this up a few conversations back, but there are a lot of these public-private um, partnerships, if you will. You and I talked about DSAC, OSAC. Uh, what makes InfraGuard unique? Um, I think, you know, this, this started in 1996 out of the, actually the FBI's Cleveland division. Um, they, their people were seeking a way to share information with the FBI and to give um, some validation to that communication channel in that community. And um, the Office of the Private Sector took that on. And, you know, InfraGuard is a trusted community. Um, the application is free. Uh, please join InfraGuard.org. Um, if you're interested in this, uh, there's no, um, what, what will happen is a, a bit of a cursory background check. Um, it isn't super invasive unless something odd shows up in your history that um, needs to be checked out. Um, so it's a welcoming organization. Uh, I think we're going to get to, I think we've got about 70 plus thousand members at this point across the country. So, you know, 96, 06, 16, you know, going on 30 years, 30, 30, is that 35 years? 
Um, so um, that it's that trusted relationship that we have since we've all been vetted. We can sit in communities. We can have presentations, you know, with Chatham House rules, um, not not cleared conversations in the sense of, you know, classified secret or top secret. But um, the agency is allowed to filter down uh, information to us that isn't really available to the public outside of that um, circle of trusted friends. And it, it just allows us to share openly with people that we know share our same concerns, um, you know, without fear of competition or any, anything like that. Everyone in here is trying to improve national security. Well, one, uh, let's drive it home now. As you know, the Great Conversation is a ecosystem in itself. It, uh, uh, the majority focus of our conversations are around uh, people who run risk resilience and security programs and their teams, uh, as you know. Uh, and then there's this really robust vendor community around it too. You're, you're, one, of, you're one of the uh, people who've been to the Great Conversation and participated in those conversations. So let's use that same ecosystem definition for a second. How does InfraGuard, what does their ecosystem look like and how does it interact with the end users in this community? Good question. So we have um, 77 chapters across the country and um, um, each chapter has an, uh, an agent that's aligned with that chapter. Um, we represent all of the 16 critical infrastructure sectors, both cyber and physical, that are part of the National Infrastructure Protection Plan. Um, we have a national board of directors that provide sort of guidance and local chapter oversight. Then there's a local board of directors in each chapter, which are typically non-government and nonprofit organization members of the community. Um, and then again, we have our FBI coordinator, who's a, basically a private sector coordinator, a PSC. He's assigned to each chapter to act as the local FBI liaison. Um, so within that chapter, what you see is a, a blend of typically those sector members who are in charge of security in that community for that for those organizations that are highly represented in that sector. For example, in San Diego or in Honolulu, you're going to see a large representation of folks interested in maritime security. Um, in Texas, I'm sure like um, Houston, I'm going to just take a shot at probably a lot more interested in uh, critical manufacturing, uh, refinery, uh, chemical sector type stuff. Um, out in Iowa, for example, we have a strong agriculture presence. So the folks out there are going to be more engaged in the agriculture sector and those concerns. So what's really interesting, if you notice everybody, the word he keeps talking about, we happen to live in a representative uh, democracy, a republic. And he's talking about a representation here. So this is a trusted community. This representation, this Chatham House rules, you're, you're sharing seminal information that really will help uh, not only the vendor community, but the end users really construct a defensive profile in their companies. Yeah, and, and you know, InfraGuard came out of its initial shell as um, sort of cyber-focused. Um, and so all of those sectors, especially the tier one companies in those sectors, wanted to get information about what the threats were to their businesses. So that's sort of what um, initially drew them in. We have a tool where we can actually share malware. So if I'm uh, in a large financial sector, let's just say Manhattan, and I'm getting pinged on with some malware, and I'm submitting that up into the portal, and we see, wow, another bank's getting attacked with it in the local area, or maybe someone got attacked over in the financial sector on the West Coast with it. But the FBI can kind of coordinate that information and help us find out what is the level of that threat, 
Um, possibly is there ways to mitigate it, something that could be done quickly and filter that information back into that sector uh, as rapidly as possible. So this works off a of push and a pull for, let me tell you what I mean by that. So one, the FBI pushes out alerts, if you will, to a general body and or special interest groups, uh, special sectors, uh, if they see a threat, but where's the poll? Are they also getting, are, are, are the representatives, people like yourself and your end users, are they pushing data to the FBI that helps the whole body as well? Yeah, I can submit uh, malware uh, for analysis um, and get a, I will get, definitely get a report back for anything that I submit on its, perhaps its origin, perhaps its attribution, uh, what it is, what it does, how it works. Um, and again, that just helps them get a sense of what's going on in the broader community through another channel. You know, they have channels of their own. Right, right. Uh, DHS has channels, NSA has channels, everyone has channels. Uh, but the end user channel is one that could have a vulnerability going on that they haven't even detected yet. It could be a zero day, something that someone dreamed up to attack, um, you know, a refinery with, for example, or an electrical grid with it that no one's seen yet. And so the first person that sees it could very possibly be the end user. And that's the value of having that collaboration with the broader private sector community. Well, let's bring it home to right now. Real time. By the way, if you don't know this by now, uh, for those who are listening, this is unscripted. So we're having fun right now with Andrew. So real time, what what are the two two or three malwares out there that uh, the community knows about and are looking at right now and, and defending themselves against? Well, I didn't look at the charts this month. I got to be honest with you. Um, what we I, I tell you what we get, what we get is a report that shows you the top. Um, 10 and okay. for sure in the past two years all they keep doing is changing um, space so we will see um, a, a ransomware kit or a root kit um, that is a version of a prior kit that is now being preferred so that one will hit number one this month Next month, it'll go to number two and one that was number eight last month gets rewritten or has another little um, a uh, bit of code added to it to, to hide it or obscure it, and then it gets reissued. So we're, we'll start to see that one. And so some of the value there, most of, most of these tools are absolutely reuse tools. Um, they are bought and sold on the, the dark web. Um, they are managed uh, as a managed service, in fact. Like I can actually just go out and buy a ransomware attack. I don't need to know anything. I can just submit a list of people I want attacked. Um, and the guy who hosts that tool will issue the attack for me and just take a cut of any money that we bring in and charge me nothing. So I need no money to start this with. You can imagine folks in the world who live on uh, very, by very meager means, a dollar or two a day, just for example, um, who now have access to tools like that on the dark web through their phone, who can initiate these attacks. And all they got to do is download lists of people from the dark web and start making money. If you're living on a buck or two a day and you make another buck or two a day off ransomware, um, you just doubled your, um, you know, your means of living. And so that's the kind of stuff that's happening out there. That's quite, right. unfortunately, it's quite, quite virulent, you know. If I, uh, if I did a survey right now to the Great Conversation community, what percentage of the end users do you believe would respond, yes, I know about InfraGuard and I'm part of the InfraGuard ecosystem? Well, We've got 71,000 members. So I, I'm just based on that alone, I'm going to say that less than a third would have heard of it and less than 10% would be members. 
less than a third had actually heard of that. Well, why is that? What, what's yeah. going on there? The way, how, how can we, if this is important, and I think you wouldn't be involved unless you thought it was critical, why haven't they heard of it and what can we do to help uh, get the message out? Um, I, part of that could be um, a little bit of InfraGuard's, um, pro, not problem, but um, again, InfraGuard's free to join, but they haven't gone out necessarily and advertised, hey, join us. You know, they, um, they do want to create a community of subject matter expertise in these sectors. We don't want just everyone joining who's not going to attend or not going to contribute, just for example. And I don't mean don't join. I mean, you know, if you're interested, join, see if it's for you, especially your local chapter. It's bound to have something that's of value. Um, but only recently did we tie the InfraGuard um, annual convention to GSX, for example. So the last two years, it occurred in coincidence with GSX, which was awesome. So there was a big InfraGuard booth. We had the FBI there. So DHS was there. So when you see those logos and the InfraGuard logo together, you're like, oh, maybe I should pay attention to this. I believe that a lot of our community, uh, the electronic security industry community and the end users uh, that, that we serve feel like national security is being handled by someone else, uh, by the FBI, by DHS. And it is. Don't get me wrong. It's just a lot of work. And they really need the support of groups like InfraGuard and the electronic security industry. Um, we visit, we have tens of thousands of people within our industry that visit these sites, these end user sites daily. And we walk these sites and we create a video system proposal to address some requirements that they have. We create an access control system proposal to address some uh, uh, needs that they have. A visitor management, which has hit the roof now with the COVID stuff going on. Um, IDS, uh, audio. So all of these types of of quotes and proposals that we create, the flip side of that proposal are the existing vulnerabilities that that facility has that we've recognized and are trying to mitigate with the systems that we're proposing. And it's that vulnerability information along with cyber information that's become very important uh, for the nation to get a view of supply chain um, uh, risk management. Well, it's not just supply chain risk management, right? Uh, it's not, no, it's, well, it's, it is if you look at it from the perspective of the Fed. So the Fed looks at its tier one banks. They primary, they work well with those banks, the, the DHS agents, they have a good, they have tools that they use at the tier one level, but what they don't have is a lot of visibility down tier two, tier three, tier four, tier five at these other facilities. And that, when I say, when I say supply chain risk management, this is what, if we can let them know what sectors in the supply chains have the most vulnerability, perhaps something like a healthcare crisis like COVID was won't um, inundate that sector's tier one facilities, right? So we never know what uh, supply chain vulnerability could cripple the banking system, what supply chain vulnerability could cripple our energy systems, what supply chain vulnerability could triple, cripple our um, del gas delivery systems. You know, there's uh, natural gas flows from the Gulf of Mexico all the way to Manhattan, for example. How do you interrupt that? turn off all the, um, uh, what do you call them, the, the, the burners, you know, and all the stoves. If you interrupt that and turn all them off and then turn them all back on, what happens? Now you've got gas flowing into a city like Manhattan. I know that sometimes you work with consultants who do risk assessments for a living. You also sometimes act as a risk consultant uh, to provide insights on what you see. 
not necessarily stepping on the toes of the ones who do that for a living. Uh, but um, would you suggest that the consultants and the integrators possibly begin to use InfraGuard as part of the intelligence they pass on to their end users, their clients? Yeah, I, I um, with the Cross-Sector Council, which we're starting, the Electronic Security Industry Cross-Sector Council, I am going to be making an appeal um, along with uh, um, four strong industry bodies um, that we are working on uh, memorandums of understanding with with InfraGuard today. We, we can't just make a handshake agreements because it's FBI, we've got to have an MOU. So those are uh, in place now. Uh, but I've got uh, broad support from industry bodies that are also, you're going to start to hear an appeal for them to begin to work with us to get this information about these vulnerabilities within these supply chain tier companies up into a portal that we're going to use, which is the existing InfraGuard portal, which will then flow up out to DC3, down into DHS, down into those sectors, and the uh, PSCs that work for DHS in those sectors um, to help them have a better picture of the vulnerabilities within those, those particular sector supply chain facilities. And this isn't just cybersecurity? No, cyber's a piece of it as well. You know, typically we're going to interact uh, with the network folks at a facility. Um, we may sometimes, the integrator may be the network folks for that facility. You know, a lot of these uh, smaller tier companies don't have um, CISSP on staff or any IT people on staff. Many are fully using managed service providers, things like that, which are also part of this infrastructure we need to look at. So yeah, we're going to where we can get a sense of um, the cyber hygiene of that facility. That's definitely something we also want to grade and get that upstream as well. Um, the the smaller companies are obviously a target of attack. I, I don't think I'm saying anything new there uh, because they're easy to attack. So their their vulnerabilities are uh, taking up taken upstream with them. You know, by being vulnerable themselves, they are in turn making their tier one or tier two companies that they service within that sector vulnerable. You know, we um, we've been challenged in this pandemic to redefine duty of care because we have remote workers. And I'm going to draw a really poor analogy, but maybe you can go there with me. If the supply chain, at the end of the day, the supply chain is the company's flywheel. Without that supply chain, these bigger entities cannot function. They cannot stay alive, right? So, so it seems to me we need a vision. If I'm working in one of those companies as a CSO and a CISO, we need a vision for how we bring these smaller companies in to our security envelope. Sure. Any brilliant ideas coming out of your work with the industry and with InfraGuard along those lines? Um, there, well, there's a great example. One of our stronger sector, of course, is the defense industrial based sector. Um, uh, you know, and folks who know me, I've been on a, on a, Terror for cybersecurity for the electronic security industry for quite a while. We started that with PSA many, many years ago. Um, the defense industrial base has introduced this year the cybersecurity maturity model certification. And workers, supply chain members, all of them who have contracts within that sector are going to begin getting audited later this year um, for cyber maturity. There are five tiers to that cyber maturity. And again, and this is related to their handling of what is called controlled unclassified information. So the electronic security industry, a great example of that that you have is information about your customers 
IP address schemas, MAC address of devices, passwords for those devices, all the information related to the network configuration that you maintain uh, or knowledge that you have, that is a, a, an example of controlled unclassified information in the DIB. Um, so uh, protecting that information, you're going to now be audited in order to even bid on contracts. And so that's the big change. We're no longer going to get to say, hey, we've, we've got our cyber hygiene. We do Microsoft best practices. We do the CSC top 20. You're going to actually be audited and you have to, and it's a pass fail. So you can be audited to level one, two, three, four, or five. And to whatever level of a contract you're trying to pursue, um, that whatever level is required of that contract, that's what you'll be able to offer a bid for. So the supplies, okay, now we're back again to this interesting inflection point we're at. Uh, because companies are being challenged more and more um, to apply resources, time, training, tools to be able to meet the threat. Uh, but someone has to pay the bills. So sure. I, I've been tracking for a while what I believe is going at this inflection point is going to start growing as a trend. And that is more and more small suppliers are going to be relying on infrastructure as a service from an AWS, from a you know, from, from larger suppliers who can actually protect those data assets and, right. and, and, and be able to pass an audit using those kind of services. Am I wrong? Do you see that too? No, no for sure. So the great thing about the, what happened in the DIB is they initially rolled out what was SSP, a, self, a security system um, program um, that was self-assessed. So I would, could send upstream to my, to my uh, tier one contractor, um, that I was self-assessed myself and my hygiene level was met all requirements. Yeah. That didn't work. So the audit is actually uh, a thing that the government is willing to pay for. So this is what's the, the big change is what now you, the government needed these services to be secured and it realized it couldn't get them without paying for that security. So this is the example that we're going to see going forward. Um, I, our firm, for example, I have electricians that I subcontract to as an example. Um, not always are they going to need CUI, but when they do, I already know that they are not going to be CMMC certified. So I'm going to open up a seat in my environment where they can interact, you know, give them a client, an email um, a service um, or access to a SharePoint portal, whatever, whatever it is required for them to access the information that they need. But I'm going to make sure that I'm providing the protection for their access to it and monitoring that, that information that, you know, I can, once I market CUI, I can monitor its movement throughout our, our um, ecosystem. And that's an example of what's going to happen. Um, the very large um, munitions manufacturers, you know, the Boeings and Raytheons of the world, they're gearing up to do this the same way. Again, they also work in cleared space. And I want to make sure everybody understands the difference. Cleared space is handled under the National Industrial Security Program, the NISP. This is everything classified and above. So a lot of munitions manufacturers are already working in that space. So doing the CMMC stuff for them is a very, very easy lift. They are already subject to scrutiny at a far higher level of many, many more controls. Um, the entire 853 stack as an exam, NIST 853. Um, whereas the CMMC stuff is a, a subset of that called NIST 800-171. Um, it's 130, 140 controls. We haven't quite seen the final version yet, but uh, far smaller far easier to get to, far more manageable, but nonetheless, tier three and above um, are looking at a six-figure cost to get this implemented, and it's not something you flip the switch on. This will take you uh, probably six to nine months if you've done nothing to get prepared currently. Wow. 
Let's yeah. bring this. Let's bring this home for a second. Okay. Um, for those of you listening again, I'm going to put my investor hat on for a second. Uh, valuable companies are strengthened by a valuable ecosystem, a strong, robust ecosystem. So when investors look at the value of companies, they also look at the real estate around it, the ecosystem around it, because a thriving ecosystem means all boats will rise in value. So it's, it seems to me what I'm hearing, and remember what business Andrew is in. Andrew wants the, all the boats to rise in value, and he wouldn't be doing this if, unless it made all of us valuable. So this is an ecosystem. We're going to be attaching a slide that Andrew gave us on the InfraGuard ecosystem uh, that uh, quite frankly will make your end users more valuable if you're a vendor. And uh, for you end users, will make your supply chain more valuable and raise the value of your entire enterprise. Do I get that right? Yeah, for sure. And, and again, uh, if you think about the InfraGuard's, the InfraGuard's startup and its, its ecosystem was to do that for all national security, all sectors. So when we say that, okay, great, that's the national security picture, but also that's the security picture for every community, every organization in every community across the nation. So why wouldn't you wanna get engaged? This is uh, sort of like a, it's one of those kind of win-win uh, organizations if you ask me, you know, there are many organizations focused on, on different sectors, uh, which I, I work in with, with the DIB, for example. Um, and many of them are, are for fee. They're there. They can be, you know, thousands of dollars a year to join. And, um, you know, a lot of the information that they share is also available in other places where you don't necessarily have to pay for it. But this is one where the trusted membership actually tends to bring out the very best um, of, of the membership folks. When you see the presentations by these groups, whether they're agents of the, of these, um, of the national organizations uh, or national agencies, or they are InfraGuard members who are, are working, most of them at the very top of these sectors or within the near the top of these sectors. They're very, very deep and very, very detailed and very, very informative it, for you if you didn't know that these things are happening in your sector. Uh, so that some of that values, it's just been incredible. I mean, I, um, I found it several years ago and I've been trying to figure out a way to help and for them to help our industry to help our industry get engaged with the information that we have um, about the vulnerabilities in these companies that we visit. And I think, um, I think we finally hit on something with this cross-sector council. So what, uh, one, what kind of challenge do you want to give this great conversation community before we uh, end this interview, Andrew? Well, I would say make sure someone in your organization that has uh, security um, scope in their job duties is an InfraGuard member. Um, just so that you have access to information particular to your sector, um, sometimes well in advance of other, um, you know, public knowledge that may become available uh, or knowledge even that you have to pay other people to get for you, right? There's a lot of services out there that will provide this to you for a fee. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, uh, also what I'd love you to do is stay in communication with me. When you have a pertinent update on the cross-sector council, I'd love you to come back and give us that update. Can you do that? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Looking forward to it. I'm trying to, trying to drum up as much um, interest from the electronic security industry in InfraGuard and in what we're doing with this cross-sector council as possible. Two other questions. Any readings or listenings that you would have for the community that you think are pertinent right now that they should be reading up on? If you have not read 
Deliver Uncompromised. That's a uh, paper from MITRE that came out a couple of years ago about Robert Metzger and a few others. That gives you the genesis of what we're talking about and why. Two years later, just released a couple of months ago, the National Cyber Solarium Commission report. Um, the, exec the executive, there's an executive review. There's also the full paper, both available for free. You can just Google um, Cyber Solarium and I'm sure you'll find that page. Excellent. We'll put that on the resources page, the member resources page with a okay. recommendation from Andrew Lanny. I appreciate it. And then we, uh, this is a member driven community. It's a round table. Uh, no one sits at the head of this table and we need all voices. Who would you invite to the next great conversation? Well, I um, would like to hear a little more from some of our agencies. Um, I, I don't know if everyone knows how well they work together. And I think um, perhaps a cross, a cross agency kind of presentation, maybe with the FBI, DHS and NSA um, to give a discussion so that everyone sort of understood how this works on the back end and how they share information and how they get it out to the public and how valuable it is. I don't think many people know or pay attention to that good work that gets done every day to keep this country safe. And it's, many might be amazed to hear the stories. Well, if you're all listening, I'm gonna take that as a challenge from Andrew and uh, look for the support of the community on any particular personas in each of those agencies that we would call to the table. And I'll deal with you offline on that as well, Andrew. Uh, again, much appreciation, Andrew. Thank you for your service to this industry and ultimately to our country, I appreciate it. Thank you, Ron. Thanks for having me. Aloha, everybody. Have a great day. Aloha.